Today's guest is someone I have been looking to get onto the Reset Rebel podcast for quite a fair bit of time. And the reason being um, due to some legislation um, that was passed quite recently um, with regards to magic mushrooms. Um, So I saw that the um, Food and Drugs Administration in the States had suddenly decided. to allow um, the exploration, I suppose, um, and research to commence on the medical benefits of psilocybin, uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, which is the psychedelic compound found in mushrooms. Um, And it sort of seems that um, this has opened up uh, a can of worms in, in some ways. Uh, with the medicinal use of psychedelics. Now, this is nothing new um, that people have been suggesting um, that sort of medicinal plant use can help things like anxiety and depression. Um, But it is new to think that this is finally being investigated um, for the first time ever um, by the FDA um, in America and, and also in England and also shortly to be in Canada um, and I believe another country as well, which I'm actually, I'm not finding the information that I'd actually uh, written out for myself to record this introduction because I'm incredibly disorganised. Um, so that's a great start, isn't it, always? But um, Netherlands, there you go. Of course, the Netherlands, which is exactly where today's guest um, is actually based this morning. He's in Amsterdam and the audio is not pitch perfect for the first few minutes of our our interview so if you're enjoying it and you want to stick with it do stick it out beyond um, the first few moments of that interview because Darren LeBaron is a man I've been trying to get hold of for a really long time um, after seeing that he was um, doing some shroom workshops now my interest has been piqued for lots of lots of different reasons and lots of different experiences that I've been having over the past 12 months which I have talked about with Darren in today's interview Um, But this Thursday um, is National um, Magic Mushroom Day is um, so, you know, they are medicine and they are being celebrated in a way that perhaps kind of cannabis has been more recently. And this is basically uh, a fascinating and amazing um, thing to have sort of... um, progressed and happened in recent um, in recent months and I just kind of wanted to find out a bit more about the kind of clinical trials that are going on um, with magic mushrooms in the states now it turns out Darren actually can't really help me with that side of things but the man is a fountain of knowledge um, on all things mushrooms not just from the magic uh, variety and perspective and the um He's more kind of interested in the um, farming of them uh, and the fact that we can create our own food supply and also sort of giving horticulture workshops to um, young people in London um, who perhaps have no idea how to grow their own and perhaps people who 
are not really that au fait with the medicinal benefits of fungus uh, in general and all the wonderful things that um, the indigenous cultures that he's been working with and uh, researching and visiting and his family are deeply steeped in um, have been checking out. So he is absolutely fascinating. He's an absolute mountain and wealth of knowledge. Um, So I did feel slightly out of my depth, but I'm coming at it from a perspective that isn't um, massively knowledgeable, which is why it was quite interesting for me to find out more um, obviously, we know that you know uh, Silicon Valley execs have been using microdoses of LSD to enhance creativity. I mean, that's a story that's been around for a really long time, and I have been very interested in the the concept of potentially microdosing with magic mushrooms um, when they came onto my radar probably about a year ago. I mean, I took them when I was in my twenties, but it's something that fascinates me it's something that interests me and more recently for lots of different reasons um this experience and this um research has come more into my realm um particularly when i went to our sponsor's house uh who is of course uh catherine monaghan of giggle water um, Giggle Water do power this podcast. And there was a shamanic um, healing ceremony going on uh, there at her house. And it opened my eyes in a way that um, has probably been brewing for quite some time, really. Um, but Catherine's background and passion, uh, particularly of the brand itself, is in sort of sound healing, breath work, uh, and movement combined with other shamanic healing methods. And she does work with one of Mexico's leading shaman in healing practices throughout the year. So to have gone along um, to the Giggle HQ the other evening and um, and um, had a psychedelic experience for me, was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful, and has changed my whole world. Um, I've been doing a lot of changing in my world recently um, for lots of reasons. And one of those things is that I've actually given up alcohol. So working with Catherine um, in lots of amazing healing capacities has been been really, really incredible for me. And this experience um, kind of shone a light on a lot of things that I've needed to do a bit of work on. And I think... As a control freak, uh, going into a psychedelic experience uh, in that way wasn't naturally something I was drawn to. And I was actually terrified to go into that space and see what might happen. Um, and there were parts of it that were really, really um, a little bit scary. Um, but as soon as I sort of surrendered and gave power over to the plant um, that we were working with, it just wow, it was a beautiful uh, and humbling experience. And um, that is also touched on in today's interview um, with Darren LeBaron. So I'm not going to waffle on anymore. I just feel like this is a very interesting time to be um, talking about the effects, the medicinal properties and uh, powers of of um, mushrooms and other medicinal plants. I mean, obviously, Daniel Pinchbeck, our, our previous podcast guest, was someone that wrote the book, Breaking Open the Head, this is nothing new on this podcast, but it is, it's seemingly coming to the forefront of um, of the legal system uh, to be something that we can now, you know, potentially very, very soon have actual access to um, 
in medicinal form in the normal shops, um, just like we do CBD oil now. So um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating and it's brilliant and it's exciting times. Um, but it is nothing new and these things have been around forever and that's why I wanted to talk to Darren um, about his sort of indigenous and um, tribal research from the history of these um, of these wonderful fungus. So anyway, without further ado, we cross over to Amsterdam um, and the interview I did on Skype. So please stick it out for the first few minutes. It does get 100 times better, the quality of the audio. I cannot apologise enough. I hate doing interviews over Skype, but we've been trying to catch up for donkeys, donkeys years. Um, and this was the only way to make it happen. So I'm so grateful for Darren to sparing the time and hope you enjoy today's podcast powered by Giggle Water. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today's guest, uh, very grateful to say he's joining us live on the line uh, from Amsterdam. Welcome, Mr. Darren LeBaron. Thank you for having me, Joe. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really good. Thank you. I um, really appreciate you making the time to to join us on the show this morning all the way from, uh, yeah, from a, a hot, sweaty run around your local park. Yeah, not that local. I'm just here on a, a business trip, so um, I'm getting used to the local terrain here. But yes, nonetheless, a sweaty run. First and foremost, yeah, thanks again, Joe, for the invitation and opening up your platform for me to share what I have to share with you. It's really appreciated. Um, I have a basically a background in general, just working in a local community in a range, you know, in a range of different areas. Obviously, I wear a range of different hats, but everything from community-based work, where I work with young people, you know, in creative arts, music and filmmaking. I also have a background in horticulture, where I also teach and develop um, food enterprise projects. And again, I was primarily primarily working with young people aged 14 to 16 year olds who've been kicked out of school or on the verge of being permanently excluded, and working with them in, you know, enabling them to set up, you know, um, uh, a uh, a realistic alternative to some of the options and reasons why they've been getting in trouble, whether that was, you know, being kicked out of school or close to jail. The reason a lot of them do that or end up down that route is because they're trying to make money doing elect- illegal activities. So we basically was trying to develop, you know, alternatives for these young people that would help. You know, my story is basically I went to the Caribbean. I keep it keep it real short, but I went to the Caribbean for the first time and kind of reconnected with my family who I'd never met before, and basically came to find out that I come from a family of farmers. And you know, being born and bred in London, raised in a concrete jungle, I really had the opportunity to engage with nature like the way I did once I went over to Barbados. And I came back and basically got the bug. So having a background in you know working with young people and then developing my own experiences in doing um, horticultural training, doing a level one and level two. I basically got, you know, the passion for working with um, soil, compost and mushrooms, as I said, and the opportunity to work with young people in, you know, in that field as well. And that's how, you know, it really started um, in, on, on a practical sense. And then it was also having, you know, around the same time or just before that, having a psychedelic experience with the mushrooms that 
um, supported that idea of me reconnecting with nature through studying it. And then in the future, I would be teaching it. And then I'm pretty much doing that now, as you're familiar with, as I've done that, um, arranging festivals over this summer, you know, teaching people how to cultivate mushrooms. And I want to make clear that, very clear, that I don't necessarily teach people how to grow magic mushrooms. I have a passion for the, the whole mushroom fungi kingdom. And that's what I'm really interested in, you know, mushrooms for their medicinal purposes, as well as just for gourmet and a range of other different reasons, you know, as far as their sustainability element and how they can help pretty much save the planet so that that's my my interest in mushrooms is broader than just um, magic mushrooms and teaching people how to cultivate them too for a range of different reasons what a beautiful beautiful story that you went over there and that's kind of what inspired you um by reconnecting with your family to sort of get involved and i guess you know a lot of people um just see the magic mushroom element and perhaps not you know the other side and nutritional value and the gourmet side of things but you know the reason I I guess I'm mostly interested uh, in this is because of the FDA um, kind of ruling um, earlier last month about you know an element of the kind of uh, hallucinogenic or psychoactive ingredient that's sort of being used and and being tested um, on patients with depression so you know this is definitely a topic that's been part of this podcast series um, talking to people who have sort of suffered from depression or we're helping people come out to Ibiza who are suffering depression through speaking through to our experts and getting them out here. So it is, you know, it's an amazing step forward. I mean, it's mushroom, magic mushrooms are something I've always been absolutely terrified of. Uh, hilariously, after a, a really crazy experience when I was living um, in Holland, where you happen to be now. So that'd be quite interesting to touch on later. But I'm just, I'm fascinated by this experience. You know, obviously you talked about the hallucinogenic element and the medicinal properties I mean what how did you sort of start to experiment with them um, was it just through recreational use or did you actually originally come to them through medicinal um, medicinal exploration yeah so it was more through the you know, what, you know what's now being coined the entheogenic route um, I so you know so let me go back so one I first came into contact with mushrooms when I was a teenager I had never experienced them though um, and pretty much went to school in northwest London, Camden, and was around people that was doing it pretty much every weekend or every other weekend, trying different things. And um, as I pretty much say in my talks and workshops, this field of you know psychedelics, mushrooms, and acid, and these type of things is pretty much and still are a taboo in my community. So pretty much for my whole life, I saw this as something that was negative and bad, and I shouldn't be doing, even though I was on a spiritual journey of you know personal and spiritual development looking at different modes and modalities for developing myself everything from dream work meditation you know yoga trying a range of different things and exploring and searching but never once really considering psychedelics you know as a as a serious route um until you know doing a range of different studies and it kept on coming up you know the subject for you know, um, the way that these plants have been used in indigenous cultures, because I have an interest in indigenous cultures and mythology. So looking at the ancient world, I kept on coming across the fact that these cultures or groups were using these plants in kind of like sacred ceremony settings. And it was pretty much a way of life, as well as a tool that these people used to, for, for a range of different reasons. And um, my experiences up until then was never that about psychedelics. It's always, you know, basically the guys that I went to school with, getting off their face on a weekend, you know, the kind of hippie movement thing, um, you know, back in the days. And, you know, I kind of had like some of the obvious stereotypes of what psychedelics were about, but never really took the time to study or find find out what they are really about. And the more I started going to various conferences and talks and workshops inspired by my mentor, who's known as Kalinde E. 
who pretty much was the only member in our, you know, when I say my community, I'm talking about, you know, coming from an African-Caribbean community in London. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a taboo subject, and he was pretty much the only person talking about this subject. He's based in Detroit in the United States. So I came across his work. I was already familiar with his work through another me, because he teaches, you know, the um, indigenous practices of martial arts around the world. So I was familiar with his work in that field, but never familiar with, you know, him talking about psychedelics. So I came across his work, and my mind was blown. Pretty much he was just showing loads of information that I was privy to, you know, Asian mythology, as well as Asian glyphs or icons that you find in Egypt or India or throughout Asia, and just showing, like, kind of like the hidden mushroom symbology, like, that was just right there in my face that I'd seen a hundred times, but I'd never seen the symbology in the way that he explained it. And um, because I was on that journey or kind of at a crossroads, whether it's this, you know, a genuine route to go down or should I leave it alone? It's like the combination of those few, few things. And at that time, um, the Breaking Convention, which is, you know, kind of a leading European conference now in, in, in London um, that covers, you know, it happens every two years. Um, I went to the very first one, which at that time was in um, Canterbury. And um, it was, again, so... Those, those those few things were life changing experiences for me being in the, at a conference where for three days all they were talking about was psychedelics. I was around people who were dealing with it, experiencing it, doctors, all the way down to just you know recreational users. So that was kind of what spurred me on to um, exploring this path, you know, for, yeah, to really explore it, you know, with no doubts. And then starting that journey, it was um, pretty much um, a, a, a physical experience I experienced, obviously. But going to these conferences, I was always interested in where know the um where the you know the connections with africa or the caribbean lied and i was pretty much being told two things i always share with people like i was pretty much being told that you know there isn't much of a wealth of information about psychedelics being used on the african continent or the caribbean or the other thing that i was told was that oh you guys have got Ebola, you know this thing that's being used in west africa and it's being used for alcohol recovery and you know heroin addiction and stuff like that and um, although that's that is the case. Um, it just didn't sit well with my spirit that that's what these plants are for. I felt that, you know, especially where these plants originate, especially Ebola, you know, in Central Africa and West Africa, that they don't have heroin addiction and they don't have people that are dealing with alcohol recovery. So in my humble opinion, this is not necessarily what the plants are for. They can be used for that. But I was more interested in what, you know, what was the origin, original use of that? What were the people culturally using these plants for? And that's what started off my journey in exploring and doing the research, which then led me on to sharing my findings with people. So around the same time, I was experimenting and exploring with these plants for the first time. But, but the mushrooms were the catalyst for me to start doing further research, which I shared with people in the, you know, within the psychedelic community and then was inspired, or they inspired me to then start presenting that. And that's pretty much, I guess, how you came across my work. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, experimentation is, is a great word in, in that way because I feel like, um, I think probably most people that are uh, experimentational in this world have had a little try of something like that in their childhood or they've come across it at some point and it's been something that people have tried but I think what fascinates me I mean I, I got my fingers badly burnt when I first tried mushrooms when I was um, traveling when I was at university I was with some with some friends we went to a, a, a full moon party on the beach in Kotao I think it was and I don't know we ended up eating some mushroom pancakes and I phew, didn't really enjoy the experience. I just couldn't wait for it to be over and it went on for far too long. <laughs> um, and it was very, very sure, scary sure. and included getting on the back of a motorbike and flying over some terrifying hills and all sorts of things. Um, so I was very much put off, actually, mushrooms until I encountered them again when I was living in Holland. And 
Um, we bought some from the smart shop, which I believe to be a lot, you know, safer option because, um, you know, they were bought from a kind of known quantity. They were Mexican mushrooms, these ones. And I ended up taking them and with, with a housemate and we got a tandem bicycle and then pedaled off into the countryside. <laughs> and of course, we weren't going to consume yeah. them until we'd already, um, you know, gotten somewhere safe. But we ended up having a little nibble and then came up as we were cycling home, which was hilarious and funny and actually opened my eyes to a different side of this like hallucinogenic psychedelic experience, which, you know, was quite fun and was quite amusing and was quite entertaining. But for me, you know, it felt like a bit of a game of Russian roulette because I guess obviously after my first experience, and in fact, there was a second one as well, also in Holland, that didn't go so well. And I was like, well, forget it then. I don't ever want to do this again. But, for, you know, when you're, what, what interests me is that the fact that, you know, they're now becoming a medicinal um, tool and, uh, you know, a reset tool, which I think is an amazing thing. But how do you know when you're growing something, you know, how much of this chemical that's in these mushrooms, because obviously there's a lot of mushrooms in this world that we shouldn't eat and can actually kill us as fungal stuff. It's, it's quite an unknown and uncharted, um, you know, territory in some ways. I mean, of course, there's been lots of scientific research and I'm sure you've got far more knowledge than I will ever have, which is exactly why we're having this conversation. But I, it interests me to be able to share that from a medicinal perspective. How do you quantify what's actually in a plant? Like it's, it's less easy, perhaps, I suppose, to measure out. Is it? I don't know. Totally. No, I can understand the concerns. Um, so one, just kind of the jump back off what I was saying before and what you asked, you know, my mm. introduction to using these plants was always in an entheogenic setting, a ritualistic setting. It was never creational. You know, I was always taught, you know, don't take mushrooms and go ride on the bike down the street, you know, so, <laughs> like these were the things that I was told not to do, you know, yeah. um, as you may be aware, you know, in, you know, in a psychedelic culture, there's something called set and setting, you know, making sure that you're mentally in a good space to do, you know, to do the, to do the work mm. or the traveling and you're physically in a safe space, you know, and um, if you're, in my opinion, if you're just out, you know, you're in an environment which you can't necessarily control. Mm -hmm. So for, for, for early experiences, just my opinion and the experiences that it's better to be in an environment which you can control. The safest place is probably your home, an environment where you're comfortable mm -hmm. with, you know where things are, you know what things, you know what you're around and, you know, the setting doesn't, you know, impact on you as much as if you're out, you know, at a festival, you know, with a thousand people and anything can basically go down and anything can happen and yeah. that could then trigger off, you know, having a negative experience. So for, for for most first timers, we would suggest that that's not the route that you take. You know about you know it's great people say I want to be out with nature and be outdoors, and we, I can appreciate that. But we say it's better to have you know a, be in a controlled setting. You know, and that would be preferably at the home or at home of a close friend or family member, somewhere where you're comfortable, somewhere where you can relax and chill out. And you know that would be the best space to do that type of work, especially for your first few experiences. Um, so then, in regards to it being safe, so that's physically how you're having a safe experience, you know, the measures that are, you know, you put in place, set, setting an intention. But um, I'm also aware that, um, you know, when you look at the, the catalogue of potential power plants that are out there and why I'm an advocate of mushrooms in particular is, is you know, for several reasons. But ultimately, it's, if not, the, you know, the safest psychedelic that can be used, you know, the research that's been done on it, you physically cannot harm or kill yourself by taking magic mushrooms you know i think that you know the research that's been done by people like the fda and all the rest of it has suggested for years that you know you would need to eat something like 10 times your own human body weight for mushrooms to physically affect you or to kill you which is physically impossible mm -hmm. you know what could happen is you know you could take 
mushrooms and be sitting on the top of a roof and think that you could fly, for example, yeah. and want to fly, and that would cause you, but that's not the mushroom per se, you know? mm. and that would then go back to set and setting that you wouldn't be taking mushrooms sitting on the roof. So as far as it being safe, there isn't a dosage that could physically do you any harm that you could physically take. That's what the study and research has been showing for years. Whereas when you look at other some of some of the other, other classical um, psychedelics, that's not necessarily the case. They are harmful. And like for example, Ebola is, you know, has been known to kill people and other psychedelics if the dosage isn't right. So one, that's why I'm very much an advocate of mushrooms because I believe they're the safest of all the psychedelics that can be used. And if anything, not if anything, for sure, they're the oldest and the most quintessential psychedelic that you can experience. Mm. And so, I mean, this... mushrooms predate plants. You know, mushrooms predate plants by over five hundred million years. You know, they've been around a lot longer, and as I was taught, they hold and contain a lot more information in them as well. So, yeah, that's why one of another one of the reasons why I'm a, kind of like a mushroom advocate. Totally. Well, just you know, I've only ever known them really, I suppose, as I said before, in a recreational capacity. So I am absolutely fascinated, and having had. Um, a more recent psychedelic experience, not with not with mushrooms actually, but with with a plant called gerema, um, and with the with the shaman here on the island, I had such an amazing experience. But I felt like it was a very different thing to mushrooms. Obviously, it was a completely different plant medicine. But you know, it just opened my eyes to the very healing um, capacity that you know um, hallucinogenics can can give you. I mean that extreme connection to yourself a way of opening our eyes and our our minds and our hearts in a a way that just isn't possible when you're completely obviously um in your normal state of mind but also you know i'm just fascinated as to how how mushrooms are being used to treat depression because obviously depression (laughs) depression is is so rife uh you know in this world right now and it's it's something that when i saw the fda had approved it i was literally you know blown for six and i I'm interested more, I guess, as, as to the science behind it as well. Okay, so, um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll share what I'll say with you. One, I don't have a science background, so I'm not okay. qualified really to speak on the science. I'm doing studies and the research just like yourself and coming across the information. Yeah. I have more an interest in the indigenous usages of, of these plants and mm-hmm. how that could be transferred into the here and now. Um, I say that simply because, you know, a lot of people, including yourself, bring, bring, you know, bring it to my attention as well. Oh, yeah, I saw it on the TV. Mushrooms are good for depression, anxiety, PTSD and you know, yeah. a range of, you know, other um, healing modalities. And um, again, it's, it, it's no different from how Ibogo was introduced to me as this alcohol, heroin, you know, addiction recovery thing. And I'm like, that's not what they're for. And I'm yeah. not saying they can't be used for that. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed or what I'm trying to share with people is that, when you go to these indigenous cultures and cultures today that still use these plants that don't have these issues, I believe in my humble opinion, that's why they don't have these issues because these plants are part of their everyday cycle. Uh, They're engaging these plants on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't allow your ego. It doesn't allow these things that create some of the problems that we have in our community that's ego-driven or fear-based mm. um, because these plants allow, remove, you know, remove that. And then to think that a lot of these cultures, they're introduced to the children through, you know, a rights of passage program. So anything from eight, nine, you know, and through puberty, that is when you would have these first encounters in a, you know, in a spiritual setting, in a, having a spiritual experience. 
that will enable you to discover who you really are and what you're here for and what your purpose in life is and so forth. And being a teenager who knows that, especially me working with teenagers in the here and now who don't know what they're here for and don't know, you know, they don't know what's going to happen for them tomorrow, let alone, you know, in, in years to come. It creates a fair, a fair-based society. And I think mm-hmm. that's why we have depression. That's why we have all these things now that we're talking about trying to remedy. And um, I think that's where the problem lies, ultimately, that it's been removed from our day-to-day, you know, um, day-to-day experiences. And, you know, what we would call, you know, a rights of passage program for a young boy or a young girl in in today's world just doesn't fit the world that we're currently living in and isn't obviously um, supporting young people on their journey into womanhood or into manhood. And I think that's what then leads to having an adult who basically just doesn't know who they are and what they're here for and has been told, you know, you go to school, get a job, and that's pretty much what life is about. They do that, but they still have a lack of, you know, satisfaction, a lack of, you know, there's gaps somewhere. And um, I believe that's because, yeah, we've been um, we've been removed from our, you know, our true nature. And that's partly why we've got a lot of these issues today and why these plants are being used for that. But again, I just say that to say that I don't think they're being used for that. That was what they were initially used for. A perfect example, Ebola. When you look at Ebola, if you type in Ebola on YouTube or Google, straight away it talks about heroin addiction and alcoholism. But if you actually go to the people where Ebola was from and ask them where did it come from and what is it used for, they have their own you know, their own stories and rituals and information associated with that. And what they teach is that Ebola was gifted to them, um, to that those people, to enable them to communicate with the dead, to communicate with their ancestors, mm-hmm. so that they would have access to the spiritual world and that they were able to get guidance from their ancestors who had once had a human experience, who are now on the spiritual side, to be able to them give them advice and support on, you know, in their experiences on Earth in the here and now. So that's what it was for, you know. It wasn't for to support people with alcohol recovery, so to speak. And these are the reasons or their lifestyle that they live that prevent, in my opinion, the reasons why people then end up depressed or having anxiety issues or PTSD or having to go fight wars and yeah. stuff, then come back and be, you know, be shell-shocked or whatever it is um, and then have to look at remedies for that. By taking these plants, you wouldn't even be thinking about going to war. You'd be trying to, you know, as you know, the whole peace and love hippie movement. Mm. You, you, you wouldn't be trying to come up with solutions. <laughs> so that's what these plants have been gifted to us, in my humble opinion, for and how they could be used. And it's a shame that we they've been removed so much from our culture because everybody, again, that's why I'm a mushroom activist, because mushrooms have been gifted to everybody in the world. Whereas Ebola has been gifted to people in West Africa. Ayahuasca has been gifted to people from the Amazon region, you know, and... So thought different plants being gifted to give different people around the world. And just like where I'm, well, not now in Amsterdam, but, you know, I'm born and bred in the UK. And in the UK, we have our indigenous plants here that have been gifted to, to the people. But for some reason, there's a few that have, you know, jumped, leapfrogged up the charts, let's say the psychedelic charts. And everybody now wants to fly over to Peru to have an ayahuasca experience or Brazil or Colombia or somewhere like that, where they're, you know, neglecting the indigenous plants that are native to their land, that have the information in those plants that would communicate with the people what they need to do to sort themselves out because that's what the people in Africa do that's what the people in South America and Mexico are doing they're listening to the plants and following and taking their lead and that's why they are you know doing the things that they do and are the way that they are you know, peaceful, loving, humble people, you know, and supposedly us in the West that have got everything, got all the technology, we're the ones who suffer from depression and, you know, mm-hmm. high crime rates and high suicide rates and stuff like that. That's because these things are missing from our day-to-day life. That's just how I feel. Wow. I like that a lot. And that is, yeah. yeah, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Why that extreme disconnection through technology is creating that, you know, feeling and sensation with us because it's such an interconnective technology that we experience and we use and we rely upon but actually 
it just creates separation. And of course, then we are then reliant on finding solutions to fix those problems of disconnection. So it's, you know, it's difficult, but I'm intrigued. I mean, you're saying that, you know, we should communicate with the plants in the West that are there to help us and give us the information and the same network and uh, ability to tap in. But, you know, who's doing that research? What are those plants? How do we find them? Like, you know, obviously we eat um, homegrown things that make us feel good and give us nutritional benefits and, you know, following plant-based diets, obviously... Um, helps but what why is it then I suppose then that cultures all over the world are doing all of this research for us and yet it would appear from what you're saying that we're too lazy to actually maybe get down the allotment or what it, whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing to find the plants in our own indigenous culture that are going to help us out with those issues that we're facing yeah sure well there, there's multiple reasons Joe everything from you know a lot of it's you know, a lot of it goes back thousands of years ago. You know, people that, in, you know, um, you know, the powers that be, so to speak, that didn't want people engaging in these in these substances. It's not new. It's not just a whole, you know, the whole current war on drugs, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s and so forth. It's been spearheaded, but, you know, my research has shown me by a priesthood, you know, you know, that go back to, you know, Rome and ancient, the ancient Greece and Rome and stuff like that. People that, you know, basically wanted to have control over the masses. And how that's been removed slowly but surely from you know from from the mainstream, as well as you know the industrial revolution and you know basically removing people from nature and getting them in factories and in the offices and stuff like that. All of these have been means to you know separate us from nature, you know, consciously and deliberately. Um, the idea was obviously for us to live in these amazing cities that we now live in now that we're coming to find out pretty much cause more destruction than productivity in the sense of, you know, the impact that it's having because we use more resources from nature than that nature actually gives us. So our whole model is, you know, that we've currently got is, you know, is, is void, basically. It's not working, you know, and um, so it's really difficult to, you know, to break that cycle. And you've got people or generations that have come through that and don't know no better, you know. Everybody wakes up, you know, you've got to go, you don't want water, you know, you go to a tap, you know, whereas in before you have to go and walk for water, maybe miles, and you have a different relationship or respect for water and nature. You know, nowadays you want a tomato, you can just go to Tesco's or Adler's or whatever shop you have, wherever you're from, um, that have, you know, been, I won't even say grown on your behalf, because, you know, I, I actually can call them computer foods. You know, although it appears like it's natural and it's a tomato or an apple, it's big business. It's not actually being grown for you know, the benefit of making sure that the person who's eating it and consuming it at the end is well nourished, you know, to make money at the end of the day. So um, these are the barriers that we face, and this is why we've got a culture or society in the West that do not want to get up and grow their own food, because we, we pretty much be made comfortable slaves and robots, in my opinion. Mm. That's what's happened. So, it, you know, we have to start breaking that, breaking down those cycles, and there's, you know, many groups, organisations that are out there now doing, you know, great work trying to raise consciousness on, on many levels, and I guess, as I teach from, you know, my perspective, you've got to kind of get in where you fit in, you know, and if you're a composter, you know, your goal is to, you know, stop all the waste, you know, that's being thrown into the bins and going into the landfill, and you're going to promote composting like that, we need that, and that's the way forward, and if you're an advocate of taking psychedelics to, you know, for healing, you know, alcohol and heroin addicts, you know, that's, you know, you know that's relevant, I just believe that everybody's got to kind of play their 
role just like you're doing, Joe, with your podcast, you know, trying to raise awareness through, you know, using the means of technology. So there you go. Technology is not bad. It's a mm-hmm. tool and it's, it depends how you use it. And just like we know that the same technology can separate and divide us, we can use it to unify us. And I just think it's what, you know, what people's intentions are. And the more of us that are raising our consciousness, you know, and however we seem fit and, you know, trying to do the right thing, I think that's, that's all we can do. And whatever, however far we get is however far we get with it, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely, but so I guess, hmm, so many things to <laughs> so many things to ask you. But so I mean, I think that yes, it is interesting that this law has been passed by the FDA. Um, you're saying that if we'd have had the kind of societies and cultures that connect us from to this magic from the off, you know, to the earth, essentially, is what we're trying to say here. You know, if we'd have had more. Mm-hmm. Uh, substantiation of, of that connection in in the first instance that none of this would have ha- ever happened we wouldn't be alcoholics and mad crazy drug users and you know feeling dreadful because sure, sure. we're all very very fucked up but essentially um there are people like that and uh, are you saying sure. then that it's a it, they shouldn't have access to these sort of medicinal plants then to, to get them out of the title isn't it better that they use things like psychedelics than antidepressants that are obviously chemical pharmaceutical uh, money-making machines, which you know, basically is 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 not good in my humble opinion. So I I feel like no, it's not great. Yes, it would have been fabulous to have had these things and more knowledge and awareness and and um, ability to tap into those things earlier on in life. But obviously, that isn't the way we grew up in the West. So what can you know? Is it a good thing now that this is sort of coming to fruition and and perhaps you know more? Obviously, we're seeing CBD oil in Holland and Barrett and places like that. You know, local shops. Sure. So no, I'm totally with you, and I'm far from saying no. There shouldn't be access. People shouldn't have access to it. I'm pro access. You know mm-hmm. what I'm not is um, commercialized business, corporates. You know, corporatizing the whole. You know, the whole the whole thing, which I see happening. You know, yeah. as somebody who's still naive and a novice to the field. You know, I said I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I can see what's happening. I can just observe and see what's happening. So I'm saying that to say that the people who I think are in most need of these substances are in need of them now. They need them now. And if we've got to keep waiting for stuff to be legalized and stuff, you know, um, it's like we, we potentially could lose out on a whole other generation again. Mm. So um, I'm saying to people that get in where you fit in, if you are relying or going to wait for the doctors and the scientists to do their clinical research and studies to show you that it's safe and that's when you choose to go and get, you know, your therapy and go to the different centers, great, do that. If you're somebody who, you know, goes out once a year, goes foraging in your local park and picks your own mushroom because you've identified that you've got some issues or challenges that you need to do and you feel comfortable in doing that, you know, going out foraging, picking mushrooms or growing your own, I'm all for that too. I'm saying that get in where you fit in. Mm. That's my, you know, that's one of my favorite things. Like, <laughs> do what works for you. And the shame or the negative thing about it is that in many cases, that for somebody who needs, who's depressed right now and needs a support right now, are we waiting for the FDA and whoever else is to then provide, you know, these clinics with the ability to do that? And then what you're probably going to find out is most of the people who are who are in desperate need for it are not going to be able to access these services because they're very likely they're not going to be in the financial bracket to get that support that's required, you know, for these for the, at these centres. You know, that's one of my concerns. So you know, who's who's really going to who's who's really going to benefit from you know from that? So I'm just saying that to say that I personally, just in my, you know, wouldn't wait. 
and that's what I didn't do. I was in a place I was at a crossroads where I needed help and support, and I would still be waiting if I've got to wait for it to become <laughs> legally accessible. So that's why I come to places where it's legal, so I can do it and have experiences that enable me to, you know, pass through, you know, the crossroads that I'm having, you know, that I have. And I know that there's people out there that are worse off than me and suffering, you know, worse, yeah, diagnosis than, than what I experienced. But I think so, that the, yeah, the thing is, as we both know that, you know, psychedelics open your mind in a way that um, nothing else does, basically, um, in, in my head, you know, being on mushrooms or that Jerema experience that I mentioned earlier opened my mind in a way that has not been available on anything else I've ever drunk or taken or, or ingested. And I feel like um, the one of the reasons that I felt able to go down that road is because I'm quite an open-minded person. There's a lot of people out there in the West that aren't very open-minded and wouldn't be able to trust the source of a medicine unless it had been FDA approved or or come in a pill form from a trusted source. That would be my only um, question about that. Is you know, for me, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry, I got interrupted. You sorry. (laughs) No, I was just saying. You know, so 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 it's. It's a tricky one because, of course, no, I don't. I I wouldn't want to see um, businesses making millions out of, um, you know, an organically sourced product, which is, you know, the property of Mother Earth essentially, and isn't something that should be um, farmed out and and made into a multi-million pound business by another great big, you know, corporate organization. Um, but I just feel like people in the West are just very closed-minded somehow, and and this is the only way of maybe. Um, getting them into something that's actually going to help them. So I just, you know, that's the that's the angle that I find interesting. But I love the fact that you are obviously sh- showing people how to um, grow their own. So could you tell us maybe a little bit more? You mean you don't have to tell us the ins and outs of everything, but I, I am very intrigued. Is, is that what you're doing in Amsterdam? You're you're doing a homegrown workshop over there, or what are you what are you up to? What are you sharing? I'm actually not. I'm just doing a talk. I've just been invited to give a talk and presentation about the indigenous use of psychedelics and mushrooms in particular so that's what I'm here doing just a series of talks but yes I've been here before um, teaching mushroom cultivation workshops and I've been traveling around the world teaching people how to grow mushrooms as I said not only from because obviously people hear mushrooms mushroom cultivation they think magic mushrooms most of the people that come to my sessions are not coming there for that because yeah. they those who come to cultivate mushrooms understand the, the potential of both gourmet because they taste nice and medicinal mushrooms so you know just you know the day-to-day health but more for what we call bioremediation which is basically helping to you know replenish the earth so it goes back to you know the fact that we're all here living and breathing and eating food is all down to fungus it's all down to mushrooms we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for mushrooms plants wouldn't be here if it wasn't for mushrooms they play a the most, if not the key, role in you know all of the kingdom you know and they're a kingdom unto themselves in actual fact so um there's a lot in regards to, you know, mushroom cultivation that I teach and share and people are interested in. But yes, you know, the, the, the techniques for growing mushrooms pretty much cross over, you know, to, to a, you know, a range of different varieties of mushrooms. So although I might be teaching people how, well, how to grow, you know, oyster mushrooms, for example, you know, the techniques enable them to grow any kind of mushroom that they want to. So I always tell people and inform them, look, you know, growing magic mushrooms is an illegal act and you shouldn't do it, you know, in places where it's illegal. The techniques are the same. If you want to, you can practice growing oyster mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, lion-made mushrooms. All of these are great, healthy, tasty mushrooms and, you know, um, 
also very fun to grow. So that's why I'm, you know, I've been traveling, as I said, for the last couple of years, teaching people those, you know, those techniques, how to grow on straw, how to grow on grain, how to grow on waste materials that they have around them, you know, coffee grounds, stuff that, you know, people would normally throw in the bin and go to waste that you can actually grow food from it. So that's what, that, you know, that that's my passion in teaching people how to grow mushrooms, that you can find cardboard in a skip and grow food from it. Wow. Know, cardboard waste something that's something they told us skipping you can grow food like i think that's amazing and i that's what i like to share with people you know those mm. that, that that whole idea so the fact that we've got people who are hungry you know people who are malnourished and there's not there is there's no excuse really because we have the means for you know growing our own food mm. and we don't have to be you know high end you know horticulturalist it's like real real easy so that's what my workshops are geared around you know simplifying these mushroom growing techniques so that children can do it because that's what i do i've been going to schools teaching children how to grow mushrooms you know because that's you know it's very important you know that we know you know what food is where it comes from how it grows and you know if you're looking to grow food any kind of plant you need to know that it's connected to a fungal system and that's how the plant receives its nutrients and gets its information through the same mushroom network that when you take magic mushrooms you're getting the same information from from you know from nature and from you know the cosmos and so forth it's connected in a weird way you know and a, a mysterious species mm-hmm. that um yeah as i said i'm very passionate about and try to get people to understand and then they can grow whatever mushrooms they decide to grow and that's their own business and i'm not that interested in what they do after that with it mm. i think your passion is well inspiring frankly and um yeah i'm really really glad we're having this conversation because i think it's yeah it is an incredible message to be sharing and it's actually making me want to go out and uh grow something pretty much as soon as i get off the phone actually um but i do know that the the soil in ibiza isn't isn't great for growing so this is also quite inspiring to hear that you know you can grow mushrooms off of cardboard and waste and coffee grounds and wow that's just unbelievable i had absolutely no idea as i'm sure most people don't and that's exactly what puts them off i suppose is this idea that it's really hard work and um, takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and probably a lot of money is probably um, one of the things that i thought when i tried to get do a grow your own patch at the retreat center i was running it was the water aspect Mm -hmm. even just feeding them on a daily basis was like well how am I going to manage that irrigation system I'm not you know I kill plants all the time I'm not the kind of uh, Percy thrower of this world or the Margot of the good life I'm absolutely rubbish and useless and kill things all the time so I would you know that felt like a big responsibility to me and I understand now from what you're saying that actually perhaps it's not that difficult yeah, and that was that was the goal, you know. And I'll tell you now, I teach this to primary school children, you know, children age five, you know, five to nine years old, and they're very confident in their mushroom growing now. Um, I'm pretty sure if they can get it, you can get it, Joe. And that's how, you know, <laughs> I've tried to simplify the... <laughs> I'm trying to simplify if the If a small the child can, then there's hope for me yet. <laughs> but um, just like you, when I come across the first bits of information, I'm like, man, you need to be a scientist to get your head around this. And I was put off, you know. I was, I was you know, yeah, it's pretty much like, this isn't for me. And then slowly but surely, you know, I gave it another go. And then I had the opportunity again, Kalinda, you know, they've got a mushroom farm out in the States. I got the opportunity to check out. And they just showed me some of, you know, real basic techniques that they're using for growing mushrooms. And then I looked at other cultures, like in India in particular, they get, they get like some real high, high yield, good quality mushrooms, but use like real low tech techniques in achieving that. So I was just basically studying what they do, studying what my, you know, my teachers shared with me, and kind of just develop my own techniques that I thought, you know, this doesn't cost you much, you know, for £30, £30, £40, you can pretty much buy everything you need to set yourself up for growing mushrooms for a good few years without having to reinvest, you know, and that's, you know, you can then get a setup where you've got mushrooms, you know, harvest every day, a range of different mushrooms, you know, 
you know, f- for all of your culinary and, you know, taste bud requirements. And, um, you know, that's, you know, that's what, you know, what my, what my goal was, you know, simplify the techniques, make it affordable for people and make it easier so that I could teach a child. And that's what I'm currently doing. Well, Darren, your work is epic, basically, from what I'm hearing. I'm already feeling really, really excited, and I'm really chuffed that there is a man like you on this planet sharing this message. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, there's two things I really want to talk about, because I'm aware that you've only got eight minutes left of time to spend with us this morning. Um, and I, you know, obviously we live in Ibiza, um, well, I do anyway, and um, lots of other people around me. And I'm, I'm sort of embarking on a slightly cleaner living journey. That's kind of part of what this um, pod, podcast is about, really, sort of trying to reset people and their paths in life and one of the things that's very eminent on this island is obviously um you know drug use cocaine ecstasy pills and all sorts of things like that which are again pharmaceuticals really essentially uh, chemical things and there, there is a real movement really towards um people growing mushrooms here and making mushroom chocolates and things like that which clearly are a lot better for the people looking to experience obviously through their ego I know I you know I do see where that journey is but I feel like it would be better if there was less you know death around the world for um from cocaine being flown in here and shipped here um if people were growing their own mushrooms on a place like this um to go out and have a good time and also not have the horrendous come down and pain journey um, that also causes a lot of depression in Ibiza uh, for people on a permanent come down. So I'm kind of interested. I know you, you know, perhaps that's not something you necessarily want to get involved in, but it, it does interest me as a as an alternative. Uh, and also microdosing was the other thing I just wanted to talk about briefly before we before we end. So I just, you know, people I know growing mushrooms, like for example, in their shower um, here in Ibiza, okay. because that seems to be a good spot to do it. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, man, well, anywhere where there's warmth and humidity, you know, that's what mushrooms like. So if your shower is warm and humid, then that would be a great place to fruit your mushrooms. Um, if you haven't got a garden. You know, it's funny that you say this as well, Joe, because part of my research in the, one of the presentations that I do, because I, you know, I present a, a, a workshop called Entheogenesis. So just so, so I'm clear, I've used the word entheogen a few times, and entheogen means to generate the god. Oh, no. Or psychedelics used in a, you know, in a ritual context or in a ceremonial context. Darren, um, I'm so sorry, we just, we just lost society. you there. Darren, we just lost you at the start of that sentence. If you could just go back and explain what that is, I'm so sorry. Okay, so I was just saying that the term entheogen... That's it. You know, when, 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 yeah, when uh, broken down means to generate the God or to generate the divine within. Ah. You know, so you're generating the divine or the God within yourself. Mm-hmm. So I've got a presentation that I've, I've got called Entheogenesis, which basically looks at the beginning of psychedelics using this ritual ceremonial context. It's called The Origins, History and Future of Psychedelics. That's pretty much what I've been traveling around, you know, Europe and the world in the last year and a half for giving that presentation. And um, part of that presentation, I go into the earliest recorded history and usage of, you know, psychedelic, in particular mushrooms, because it's the oldest one that, you know, we have a record of people using because it's the oldest psychedelic. And um, the, the god or the deity associated with that in ancient Egypt, the first kind of god that we know, you know, deified in, you know, in recorded history is a god called Death, D-E-S his name is and he's a deity credited with what's known as the opening of the mouth ceremony and this opening of the mouth ceremony is all to do with the usage of using magic mushrooms basically and learning how to navigate the afterlife or communicate with your ancestors this is all very similar to where we get the ritual in the church from you know the holy communion where the priest would then have the sacred sacrament or the blessed sacrament which is the bread and the wine Mm. and that he would pass out to the congregation and you're meant to have holy communication with the divine 
And I'm not sure if in the church today, when you take the bread and the wafer that they give you, if you have a holy mm-hmm. divine communication with you know, God, but when you take the original substance that was given in these ceremonies, things like mushrooms, ayahuasca, and iboga, and so forth, I believe you encounter the divine. Um, I'm saying all this to say that Ibiza is actually named after the god Bess, B-E-S. Yes. And Bess, this god was the, was the god of liberation. He's the god of festivities. He's the god of parties. And he's also the god who introduced the ceremony of magic mushrooms to, to the world. So the fact that Ibiza oh. is one of this, this place where all of this goes down is not a coincidence. It's all a spiritual journey that's taken place from many, from thousands of years ago. Um, and the fact that it's now got to the state now where you're saying, look, there's probably, you know, death every so often and, you know, people becoming sick and ill for the use of, you know, use of these drugs. The point I'm making is that that's what the place was for. But maybe the tool, the vice, has changed over the years. And now the fact that you're seeing that there's people in their homes that are growing magic mushrooms in their showers and it's kind of this kind of movement over there that, you know, people growing mushrooms. For me, it's like it's coming... I didn't know that, and you're sharing it with me now, but it just reaffirms that things are coming around full circle, because that's what it was all about. That's what it starts, you know, that's that's what it was all about. And the people who came with that information and knowledge to those regions were sharing that, you know, sh- you know, sharing that wealth of information that the mushrooms have to provide. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the island. You're there and you're aware of it, but maybe there is a coming back, you know, consciousness of people that want to come back to the usage of the earliest of these plants that were, well, mushrooms are not a plant, but the earliest of these, you know, tools that enabled man to have to enjoy themselves and to do all the things that people want to do in Ibiza, but you can remove the coke and some of the more harmful drugs, I guess, and get closer to nature and the source of you know where it all started. And the goddess was the one who who kickstarted that, you know, over ten thousand years ago. Mm, absolutely. Well, I'm so 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 glad you brought that up because um, I didn't know that you know the god of festivities, Bessie, presides over the island, was directly associated with with yeah with mushrooms. That's that's absolutely fascinating to me and I think you know it is sad like it's a bit like um us abusing if it's not really the right word but it's a bit like us kind of you know turning to these indigenous um plants and medicines from so you know such far-flung countries it's a bit like you know when we import bananas from Jamaica for example you know the footprint of that when we've got things Mm -hmm. here that can heal us is not okay and a bit like you know we are using uh, plant medicines again that come from elsewhere but to party to be you know flying in cocaine from south america or shipping it in or however the hell it gets here i have no idea um you know is and and, and the and the destruction you know the real nightmare of the situations that unfold in those other countries that none of us uh, i'm sure that have ever ingested any of those chemicals have ever really spent a lot of time thinking about it or otherwise we wouldn't be doing it you know no one no one would sure, really sure. if anyone really gave two hoots or, or put some serious thought or time into kind of finding out a bit more about it so absolutely I'm, I'm this mushroom thing is for me it's just amazing and I have had a few encounters in the last um year of my life and, and I think for me one of the most interesting parts of all of the the psychedelic side of things is that you know being a a British person of course um, I've been someone that always holds on a lot and what the psychedelic kind of medicinal side of things has shown me is that you know letting go is the most amazing thing you can do when on those kinds of experiences and the magic that comes when you let go you know and I'm not talking just about when you're on psychedelics like in any situation in a yoga class of our emotions of all the blockages that build up because of just the stuff we experience in this world, um, it's just such an amazing and powerful tool, I think, to reset oneself. And uh, I just, you know, I literally, ho- I'm very, feeling very humbled by some of the, the experiences that I've had in the last 
in the last 12 months actually uh they've been quite life-changing and on lots of levels and um so the so the other thing that I wanted to to mention was um last winter someone approached me um who was looking into the science of um and mushrooms and of course you hear all these ridiculous tales of uh you know uh execs in Silicon Valley uh, microdosing to get more creative or um tap into various different ideas more over there and i i said no thank you i don't want to uh, microdose thank you very much i don't want to be again using something that does for me felt like a very um uncharted territory and i'm not really big into letting go um so i was like oh don't fancy that um but uh, you know what are your thoughts on microdosing is hello hi darren sorry my skype credit run out hilarious how embarrassing Okay. Um, so, right. don't worry. I think we're 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 totally done there. If you just record a little goodbye, that would be um, amazing. If you don't mind. Okay. I'm so sorry. No problem. <laughs> uh, of the benefits that they can offer. So, what are your what are your thoughts on microdosing? Well, what I do know, you know, clinically, I believe that microdosing, microdosing, microdosing hasn't been proved to work, or you know, for it, whether it works or not, it's still out. You know, the, the jury's still out. Um, again, I, I will say it over again, it's like getting where you fit in. I really believe in the premise of, you know, you do things and you see what works for you. And if it works, stick with it. If it's not working, you know, move on to something else. So I know people who try it and they don't feel any benefits from microdosing because the whole concept of microdosing is, you know, you're taking such a small amount that you don't actually feel any of the effects. Mm-hmm. If you don't physically show the effect, you don't know if it's working or not, yeah. so to speak. So that's why it's hard for them to do the clinical study and research to find if it works for you or not. But what I do know, you know, um, I'm of the premise of what I call microdosing, you know, in my, in, you know, in not so much the clinical, you know, how they explain it, you know, you know like the research has been done, just my experiences, you know, I use or can use it in a way no different to somebody who had their coffee every morning. You know, um, who wakes up might feel a bit groggy and they believe that by taking their coffee, which will happen, they take a drink and, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour later, they, they, you know, they, they feel more lively. They're picked up and they're ready to go, you know, and mm-hmm. to face the world. And I believe that they can be used in the same way, just like when you're, at, you know, in a, a bad period in your life, you know, you're at a crossroads or even in the day you wake up and, you know, that your energy, your energy levels are not right or, you know, your mental levels are not, not right, that you can use these things to help pick you up and put you in a, a better space, a better headspace to have a more productive day. And I personally believe that I have no qualms with, you know, it being used in that way, you know, if people find that it works for them. Um, you know, as you said, you know, with Silicon Valley and all of these other places where, you know, they say um, they're being, it's being used for creativity, um, that's, you know, there's a history of psychedelics being used to support people in their creativity, you know, in, their, in areas as well as like indigenous cultures, because they use it every day because the primary usage of these plants heightens your senses. You know, it heightens what you see, what you taste, what you hear, you know, and, and, you know your initial, you know, default mode, thinking modality. So the fact that it enhances that, you know, if you've got, you know, an idea, an, an eye, or if you try to develop an idea and you've got a blockage or you're a writer, a musician, you know, um, and you're trying to, you know, be more creative, it, it helps with that. If you're a hunter and you're, you know, you're going out hunting at night and you can't see, you know, yourself from the trees, you you know, it helps heighten your senses so you can see better. So it's, it's got a record and a history of, you know, supporting people in being able to do that. Um, my only thing is when it's being used and it's still helping to, you know, to develop and create the beast that is, you know, partly responsible for, you know, the destruction of this planet. I'm saying that to say that when these things are being used to help, you know, build missiles, for example, or things like that. I'm yeah. Just, yeah, for me, it's like counter, counterproductive. It's like, all right, great, we can help you in your, you know, in, in the business and in work, but, you know, what is the outcome? 
and if it's for the you know the benefit of the people and the masses, you know, I'm always going to be for that personally. Not that I have much say in what how they're going to use it in the long run, but if these guys are geeks, you know, are back and saying well, we're going to build this missile and these rockets and stuff like that, it's like that's not you know. Hopefully, you can have you know mm. a, a high dose experience and have enough challenges that kind of reset you and challenge you to you know reflect on what you're actually doing and maybe think about ways of you know um not necessarily creating things that are destructive and things that are you know more beneficial to the to the world and, and yeah I'm all, I'm all for that so it's just kind of again it's a tool and how how is it being used mm. and that's how i see my epidosing you know in, in that sense very, very interesting. It does. It very much does. And, um, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I, I just think this growing your own thing is definitely the way forward. Like with, you know, the food supply, obviously. I mean, it's just an absolute no-brainer. And I, I would love if we had more time to ask you more about that. Is there any books you can suggest or any kind of tools or, or places that people can tap into without, obviously, your wonderful knowledge? Um, but is there any books that you would suggest that people could maybe buy or read or get hold of? Sure. Well, as far as, you know, mushroom cultivation side of things, again, I'm, I'm trying to teach people how to fish, you know, that thing is a man of fish you can eat for a day, but teach them how to fish and eat sorted for life. Indeed. That's pretty much, you know, I, I've been given that tool and I'm trying to empower people in the same way. So you, you can check out kind of any mushroom cultivation book out there, but, you know, the mushroom guru, the mushroom man at the moment is um, a guy called Paul Stamets. That's Paul Stamets, S-T-A-M-E-T-S. And he's got several books out there, but in particular, there's a book called My Silly and Running, How Mushrooms Can Help Save the World. And what Paul's actually done, he's addressed some of the common um, challenges we have in today's world and society, everything from, you know, that poor soil, you know, um, you know, we've got this thing, you know, using up the resources, fuel in particular, um, quicker than Earth is producing it. So he's looked at, you know, a range of different, you know, um, challenges that we're facing on Earth, and he's basically been able to solve them using mushrooms. You know, so that's, you know, cleaning up polluted water, cleaning up polluted soil. He's created a sustainable biofuel. You know, he's created material that we can make clothing from, all these things from mushrooms. So anything to do with mushrooms and the role that they play, because everybody you know, thinks of me as this kind of mushroom nerd and you know, to do everything and save the world and all they, all they are. So if you check out that book, you can get a wealth of information um, that supports some of my weird, crazy ideas. And um, in my opinion, out of the, you've got loads of books out there, but, you know, the Mycelium Running book is an easy read. He's got mu- mushroom growing techniques in there, as well as, you know, all that wonderful information about mushrooms. You know, and if you're interested in the historical side of mushrooms and, you know, the, the use of them, and, you know, in, in sacred settings, I'm pretty much say, you know, there's tons of information out there that, um, that as well as there's one in um, called Beyond Psychedelics, they all have channels on YouTube, and you can go onto their channels and you will see hundreds, if not thousands of talks and presentations, including ones done by myself, talking about the usage of psychedelics, everything from the clinical research that's being done by the top researchers out there, down to the everyday people like myself. We, we got most of um, we got most of all those wonderful recommendations that you were making there with regards to books and lectures and things. But um, yeah, we thank you so so much. I know that you've got a crazy busy uh, week ahead of you in Amsterdam with the, with the talks that you've got happening this weekend. But um, thank you so much for taking the time. No problem. I was here. Much appreciated. Thank you for the invitation to come and share what I have to share. And um, please have a good work tomorrow. It's a matter of getting where you fit in. Everybody's got you know a role to play. Thank you so much. Was it getting where you fit in? I love that expression, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I, I use it like with my students, you know, like, you know, for example, on a football team, you know, everybody can't be the striker. 
now. Our time's 11 people trying to be the striker. We need a goalkeeper. We need some defenders. Like, everybody's got to play their part, play their role. And, you know, it's something that I share with my students because a lot of them are interested in horticulture. Well, maybe not interested in horticulture, but I'm trying to get them interested in horticulture. And there's a lot of things that they don't like about it. Of course. Like about sometimes doing the things you don't like and then, you know, learning from that to then find your place and doing what, you know, works for you. Oh, yeah, that's why I say that. <laughs> it works. It, it, it definitely fits, that's for sure. I'm sure there's lots of people that, yeah, don't want to do a lot of things that would really work for them. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting conversation for sure. Um, yeah, happy Mushroom Day. Is that Thursday? That's Thursday, yeah, 920. 9.20. That's the official day. It's Thursday, but here in the Netherlands, I'm not sure when it gets out, whether we have any Netherlands listeners, but on Saturday, <laughs> And, um, and taking place here in Amsterdam the 27th of September in the centre somewhere. So I guess if people just type Amsterdam Russian Day, stuff will come up. And I guess around the world, you know, it's like 4.20, you know, the cannabis day. It's 9.20 become a thing now, and that's the National Mushroom Day. So I guess all around the world, people will be taking mushrooms and um, having their experiences. <laughs> I'm sure they will, especially where you are, that's for sure. <laughs> Amsterdam, yeah. definitely a place where that kind of stuff is uh, very... Easily accessible. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, enjoy that. And um, yeah, thanks again for taking the time. We'll speak to you soon. All right. No problem, John. Thanks a lot again. Thank you. Take care. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel.